This episode of the Weekly Standard Podcast is sponsored by The Great Courses. The Great Courses brings the world's greatest philosophers to your fingertips. With more than 500 audio and video series on science, history, philosophy, fine arts, better living, and more, The Great Courses are available on digital download and streaming at thegreatcourses.com or on DVD and CD or via The Great Courses apps. Best of all, you can listen to or watch The Great Courses at your own pace without the pressure of homework or exams. And now, for a limited time only, The Great Courses is giving our listeners an offer of up to 80% off the original price of selected courses, including The Secret Life of Words, English Words and Their Origins. For this limited time, 80% off offer, go to thegreatcourses.com WS to find out more. That's thegreatcourses.com WS. Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us is Adam White with the Weekly Standard and the Manhattan Institute to talk about the uh, Supreme Court's ruling in the King versus Burwell case. And I have the same question, the same legal question for you, Adam, that every other great legal analyst has. What does the White House have on John Roberts? What, like divorce records, drug use? Is there a photo of him waving a Confederate flag? What do they have? Well, I think it... I think it really shows the saying with, with enemies like this, who needs friends? Uh, <laughs> the idea that if Roberts is on the other side of, of the Obama administration, uh, they sure are lucky in their in their opposition. Well, what's the legal premise that the uh, six to three majority used to find that the wording in that one part of the law, it, those the words, the state means something different from all the other parts of the law? Well, it's really remarkable, Michael. Uh, the court majority, led by Chief Justice Roberts, uh, took a look at the arguments and the structure and the, the language of the text and said, well, sure, maybe when the, when the statute says that subsidies go only to exchanges established by a state, that might be the most natural reading to, to think that a state means a state. But in this case, the, uh, the, the structure and purpose of the Affordable Care Act requires you to think of a state as either the state or the federal government. It's a case in which uh, the court admitted that the text probably taken at face value didn't mean this, but taking the statute as a whole, they say, we have to read it in this other way. Is it accurate to say that they read to try to determine the intent of the law rather than the text of the law? I think I'd put it this way. I think the court looked at it and said, well, Congress didn't intend for this entire structure to ultimately be self-defeating. And so having found a provision which, if taken literally, might significantly undermine the efficacy of the act, we need to read it the other way. You know, Adam, I remember a jurist who said it's not our job to protect the people from the consequences of their political choices. That was a, apparently a completely different Chief Justice John Roberts three years ago. So uh, didn't they just do the opposite of that? In essence, uh, say that we are going to defer to the people in political power and give them, you know, the give them what they want, whether it's what the law says or not. Well, the court was the majority was pretty candid that they weren't necessarily saving the people them from themselves, but they were saving Congress uh, from itself. At one point in the opinion, they say that the Affordable Care Act's provision is not exactly an example of, of artful drafting. It's inartful drafting. The court was pretty clear that the statute was written in haste and behind closed doors and is riddled with uh, problems. 
and the court's going to step in and effectively save Congress from its own uh, create problem of its own creation. Uh, I love reading Justice Scalia's dissents, even though I regret that he has to dissent because I prefer that his you know, uh, uh, rulings prevail. But he had some great Scalia moments in this dissent, didn't he? That's right. This one really is uh, its a, a classic in the Scalia genre. For the very outset, he points out the absurdity of the opinion, the idea that when you say an exchange established by the state, you mean an exchange established by the state or federal government. He says that is, of course, quite absurd. And the court's 21 pages of explanation makes it no less so. Um, it's, uh, he's, he's got a variety of things. Towards the end, he says, we should just start calling this law SCOTUS care. He's, he's very uh, unhesitant about, uh, about calling out the, the majority for what he sees as an extreme example of judicial activism. Yeah, it's, it's politics, and it's just a reminder that this is the game that Washington plays, no matter where you are, whether you're in a, a, an executive office or a legislative chamber or a courtroom, you're in a fundamentally political place. And so my question for you is, does this ruling have any effects? In other words, is it now established that if a politician really wants something that the courts will abandon the notion of the law as a limiting, having a limiting principle and allowing the politician to just go wherever he or she wants. Well, that's the worrisome thing about this opinion is it doesn't really make clear at what point the normal rules of statutory interpretation end, and it's time for the court to jump in and start uh, fixing the statute. That was another good Scalia line, actually. He says at one point, the normal rules of interpretation seem always to yield to the overriding principle of the present court, namely the Affordable Care Act must be saved. Now, I don't know whether this means the court is just going to do it in Affordable Care Act cases or if they're going to start doing it uh, more often in other contexts. It remains to be seen. One thing that's frustrating is just last year, there was a case that came out of the court called Utility Air Regulatory Group versus uh, the EPA a case that I think I said on a podcast with you I thought was very similar to King. It was in a case where the EPA tried to stretch the terms of the Clean Air Act in order to shoehorn in its greenhouse gas regulatory program. And the majority of the court, including Chief Justice Roberts and Justice Kennedy, said, no, the statute says what it says, and this policy might be important, but we're not going to rewrite the plain terms of the statute to make the program fit. Now, if they're not going to do it there, but they're going to do it here, what are they going to do in future cases? It's, it's very hard to tell, and I think it will only further further politicize the court, which is very disappointing. It really is. And, you know, I'm one of those people I'm trying to look for the glass half full. When the first Obamacare ruling came down, I said, well, at least they said explicitly that this you know, out-of-control use of the uh, interstate clause, you know, we're going to bring that interstate commerce clause, we're going to bring that in, you know, uh, someone into, you know, round it up, if you will, restrict it. But I just don't see a lot of good from the, it's from the standpoint if you really want the system to work so that Americans can have any constitutional law they want so long as they actually pass it that system seems to be fading fast under President Obama with a lot I of think, help from the court no I think there's a lot of room for concern here yeah you know, I've only had a chance to briefly look at the opinion one time through so I'm still analyzing it but I would it's hard to say the glass is, is just half empty on this. I feel in some ways the glass is three-quarters empty. There's one aspect of the case that won't get as much coverage right away, but I think it's very important. Um, normally, in these sorts of regulatory cases, um, if the statute is ambiguous, uh, then it goes to the agency. The court more or less defers to the agency, but future agencies can reverse course. In this case, 
the majority opinion by Roberts agrees the statute is ambiguous, but they don't go through that normal process of saying, well, we'll let this agency have its way this time, but future agencies can reverse it. They did it in a way that might actually end up locking in the statutory meaning so that if a future President Jeb Bush or Rubio or Walker or Rand Paul uh, comes to office, they won't be able to unilaterally reinterpret the statute the way that this uh, the initial administration did. It's, it's, as far as I can tell at first reading, the court has put this in such a posture that it's going to require outright statutory amendment to reverse this administration's policy. And, and the so question it's, once it's, again, it's even it, worse. It, well, the, the question we'll leave you with, or is why? In other words, how, what cause does it further set aside Obamacare and the political fights of today? Just looking at the separation of powers issues, what cause is it further to have the court come in and say, not, we're not just deciding to let something happen. We have decided to make the desire of the uh, executive branch the law, period. Well, I don't have a good answer, Michael. In that way, the opinion is very darkly ironic. On its face, the court majority acts as though they're giving less deference to the executive branch by just deciding the statutory interpretation question on their own. But in reality, what they're doing is giving even more uh, discretion and power to this administration to lock in its policy in a way that will be even more difficult to uh, to reverse. And, and like I said, I'm still looking through this opinion. Others will, and I'm sure we'll be We'll be debating this for months to come, or at least for the next three days before the Supreme Court decides the same-sex marriage case. And um, uh, I think a lot of people are going to be wondering about what comes next, but also what led to this. And unfortunately, that's where politics uh, steps in. And in a climate where trust in the government is at record lows, where uh, individual agencies like the uh, you know, Office of Personnel Management and the IRS and uh, the VA are held in such low esteem. If you're looking for someone to trust, the thinking of the American people has always kind of been the court is the backstop. And today, I think it's safe to say that if you're paying attention, there is a huge hole in the backstop that was the court. It's a very frustrating day. Well, if it has to be frustrating, Adam, I'd rather share it with you than anyone else. So thanks so much for your time here. We appreciate it. Thanks, Michael. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.